John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 through to 17. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can someone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, our our reading from John 3 has a number of famous verses in it. Of course, John 3.16, after which our youth group is named, Youth 3.16. But another famous verse is our focus today, John 3, verse 7, where Jesus gives the command, you must be born again. And uh, this isn't only well known amongst Christians. I guess if there was a Christian phrase that's become known in popular culture, there wouldn't be too many uh, that would be better known. Uh, But it's also a phrase that has more baggage than the Titanic. That is all sorts of associations uh, that uh, not a lot of them are accurate and many are negative. Usually among non-Christians it's used as an insult. You know, uh, such and such is just a born-again Christian weirdo. 
but and part of that has been caused by the dodgy stuff some Christians have said about what it means to be born again and uh, the silly ways they've behaved at times. And the big problem with this is that the inaccurate baggage tends to hide the real vital good news that is the real meaning of the phrase, be born again. And that's what we need to recover and get hold of and drink in. And we're going to see uh, what it means to be born again by looking at, uh, one, who it's for, two, what it is, and three, how it's received. And so, firstly, who it's for. Uh, When many people hear the phrase born-again Christian, they think of a certain type of person uh, with the implication that uh, being born again only relates to you if you are of that certain type uh, and that if you're not of that type, then it's not for you. There's probably a couple of key types people think of here. One is someone who's become a Christian and has got a pretty colourful testimony. You know, their life has fallen apart, they've been through drug addiction, lost their money, lost their house, wrecked their family, maybe committed a crime and spent some time in prison. And that's just with leaving out the really bad bits of my story. Uh, Then they meet God, were dramatically converted to Christian faith and their life was totally reformed and put back together and with this... They speak of being born again and praise God, that kind of thing happens, actually happens a lot. But we can think that it's only people in those kind of dramatic circumstances who become born again Christians. One of the other key types of people we think of as being born again are those who need to get into a really serious religious regimented lifestyle to be able to function properly in life. You know that without that they may be just too laid back, lack drive and that their lives will just founder and go nowhere and we can think, yep, a bit of a heavy religious lifestyle would do them good, they should get born again. But the thing is, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't fit either of those types. He hasn't wrecked his life or been thrown in jail. He couldn't be a more fine, upstanding citizen if he tried. And He's a Pharisee. He doesn't need to get into a serious religious regimented lifestyle. He's always been in one. Nicodemus would be maybe like many of us. Good churchgoers, decent law-abiding citizens who read our Bibles, do the right thing, try hard to be good Christians. And yet Jesus says to Nicodemus, To us, you must be born again and are in desperate need of it. So it's not just some types and not for some other types. 
being born again. It is for all. Because no matter how good you are, you absolutely need to be born again. And no matter how bad you are, you absolutely can be born again. So, uh, secondly, what is it, being born again? Where the phrase born again appears in verses 3 and 7 in John 3, your Bibles will probably have a footnote saying it can equally be translated as born from above. And New Testament scholar N.T. Wright points out that we actually need to understand both of those translations as part of the complete meaning of the phrase. It means both being born again and being born from above. And from above in the Bible means heaven. That's where God rules. And so the kingdom of God is referred to twice, verse 3 and 5, and it's a synonym for heaven. So new birth comes from God, but it also says that we are born of water and the spirit in verse 5. Just hang with me a moment. Water there probably refers to baptism, which gives us new life as God's children, but it's the spirit that makes all of that happen. And the spirit is God. But then the Bible also speaks of God's life, the spirit as a river of living water that Jesus says flows into us. So if we put all that together, it's telling us that the new birth is God implanting some of his own life in us. Do you get that? It's an incredible thing. But the other meaning of the phrase, to be born again, emphasises the radical newness of it all. Birth implies from the ground up a completely new identity Now, Nicodemus was very accomplished. Jesus called him a teacher of Israel. He seemed to have everything going for him. So why was he coming to Jesus? With all of his accomplishments, maybe he still had a sneaking suspicion that he was less than perfect. And maybe he was coming to Jesus just to get a little bit more help to get him over the line. Are any of us like that? We try really hard to live good Christian lives but maybe sense or fear that perhaps we don't do enough and we keep seeking God to give us that little bit extra to just get us over the line. Well, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and us, just forget that right now. That life you're trying your hardest to live doesn't have to be improved. It needs to be obliterated. Come to an end of ourselves spiritually. You need an entire new existence from the ground up that only God can create in you. James was saying exactly the same thing last week in a superb sermon he preached on repentance. It's got to all come from God. C.S. Lewis said, uh, if we imagine our lives as a house, we can think that we're asking God in our lives 
to help fix our cottage roof. But he plans to turn us into a palace, an entire new existence. The new life we need can only come from God and it can only come by God implanting his own life in us. Three, the new birth, how is it received? How do we get it into our lives? Well, if it has to be entirely God who makes it happen, that means it can only come to us as grace. That is, as a gift we don't earn or achieve or deserve and all we can do is simply believe it and accept it and give thanks for it. This doesn't mean that we don't do anything or that it doesn't bring change in our lives. No, we will be thoroughly active in this and experience enormous change and we'll focus on that shortly. But the heart and initiative of our new birth is by God. In John 3, Jesus calls Nicodemus to be born again, the good churchgoer. In John 4, Jesus calls an utterly morally broken woman to be born again, the equivalent of prostitutes. What does that mean? All are equal before God. All are equally in need to be born again. Why? Because it's all based only on grace. However good we think we are, our goodness has got nothing to do with it, we can only receive it as grace. However bad we are, our badness has got nothing to do with it because it comes to us as sheer grace in face of whatever our badness. To be born again, it must be all of grace. This was Martin Luther's discovery one day when he was reading the words of Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by faith. He said this, if ever a monk got into heaven by monkery, it it would have been me who got there. But although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and had no confidence with my, that my merit would, as, would assuage him. Night and day I pondered until I grasped that the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which, through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn, to have gone through open gates into paradise, The righteousness of God had filled me with hate. Now it became to me inexpressibly sweet and lovely. This passage of Paul's became to me a gate of heaven. I was uh, discussing this passage from John 3 recently with Daniel soon to be baptised. I have his permission to share this something of this conversation with you. And in light of this passage, I put the question to Daniel, are you born again? 
His gut reaction was to say in the first instance, no, and he said he, that uh, from the position of an outside observer looking at his life, there probably hadn't been great spectacular changes yet, but we talked more about what had happened to him in the last couple of years that he's been with the congregation. And he spoke about how he has clearly heard the Christian message that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has saved us from sin and evil, forgiven us, and given us resurrection from the dead to eternal life by his grace. And Daniel spoke about how he had come to be convinced that this was true, that he couldn't avoid the truth of it. And he talked about how believing this gospel had moved him from one state to a completely different state. They were his words. And given him a completely different view of himself, the world, the future, and that he now has to approach the whole of his life from the perspective of what God wants for him. Looks like a duck, swims like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's a duck. I said to Daniel, what you're telling me is that you've been born again. Daniel said, yeah, I am. And as he goes on in Christian life, there will be all sorts of further growth and changes to look forward to, but we get the entire new birth, the whole new existence, a totally different state as God's true children by sheer grace, as soon as we receive it in faith and repentance. And so we'll be sealing that new birth to Daniel in a couple of weeks when we celebrate his baptism. But God's grace to us comes into even sharper focus, which is where it penetrates most deeply into our lives and effectively triggers our new birth. Hands up all mothers. There's a few of you there. How much did your babies help in getting them born? That's right. The baby contributes nothing in the process of getting born. It's all the labour of the mother. Actually, I can testify to that. I was there and saw it. Actually, I take that back. I didn't see it. I was passed out on the floor. (laughs) Which means I really know that it was all the labour of the mother. She didn't even have my two cents worth of moral support. Babies are not born by their own pain and labour, but by the pain and labour of someone else, their mother. Before modern times, when mothers gave birth, there was quite a realistic chance that they might not make it. The mortality rates for mothers giving birth could be very high. So, you couldn't be born unless someone else was actually willing to suffer and risk death. In the Bible, it refers to when a woman begins the pain of childbirth as when her hour has come. 
In a number of places, Jesus refers to his suffering and death as the time when his hour shall come. Timothy Keller brilliantly connects these references with what Jesus says to his disciples in John 16, again referring to the time of his suffering and death. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her hour has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. Do we see what Jesus is saying? I like a woman in labour, will know incredible pain. And not only that, but certain death from crucifixion. But that at the sight of the child that I have born, you, I will have overwhelming joy. The joy of a woman at childbirth, and you all know that, is just a dim glimmer of Christ's joy at seeing you. To see that grace is to be born again. You just try and stop yourself. To be born again, we must see that grace of the cross and rest in it. How will this affect our lives? I think it would be easier to ask, how won't it affect our lives? Paul said that in Christ we're a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. No part of our lives will escape being touched by that. In in John 3, Nicodemus is fearful of the Jews who hate Jesus. He's very protective of his own public dignity as a social leader and he sneaks to have a secret conversation with Jesus at night. In other words, he's a pride-filled total wimp. Jump to John 19, Nicodemus goes with Joseph of Arimathea to the Jewish authorities to request to go and take Jesus' dead body from the cross, prepare it for burial and do the burial. So now Nicodemus boldly, publicly owns loyalty and devotion to Jesus. He risks and faces hatred and attack from the Jewish and Roman authorities who hated Jesus and his followers. He gladly shames himself, a member of the upper classes and as a male leader by doing the dirty, menial task and women's work, that's what it was then, of preparing a body for burial and doing the burial. So Nicodemus has gone from being a self 
self-righteous, proud arch wimp to being a humble, devoted, bold follower of Jesus, what happened? I reckon he was born again. And think of the witness Nicodemus must have had across the community by that change. How might that new birth change us? How might it make us witness like we never thought possible? This is also a story about what happens when we take the gospel outside the church. It converts people. People who don't know the God of Jesus Christ and his stunning grace, they get to know him and are born again as believers. Just before I finish, many of us will know that we have been born again. It could have happened last week, could have happened 50, 60 years ago. But you see, the reality is not something that happens to us once we kind of put in a box. This is alive to us every day. Every day we're renewed, we come to life afresh in our new birth. It's a continual thing. Get on this train and strap yourselves in for the ride. Amen.